So, as I get asked the question, which you've probably heard already, how many of you are ready for 2020 to come to an end? <laughs> it's a, a memorable year and probably also a significant year. This morning in the, the message, we'll make some effort to make a little distinction between memorable and significant. This morning's uh, message will deal with some of that. Several weeks ago, when Greg and I talked about today and uh, planning for today, I said to him then that, you know, if you really want to plan a memorable event, Greg, 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, an election year, probably not the best time. I predict that in 15 years from now, when the Brady family is gathered together for Thanksgiving dinner, and they reminisce about days gone by in the past year and maybe past years, I predict that not one of Greg and Melissa's children is going to say, oh, Dad, I remember 2020. That was the year that you were ordained as a minister within the Christian Reformed Church. But I want you to know, Greg, that being in the position I'm in now at my age, I've got a little free time. So I took out my smartphone the other day, so-called smartphone, opened up my calendar, and I scrolled ahead 15 years to 2035. And on October 25, I put on their 15th anniversary, Greg Brady's installation as an ordained minister in the Christian Reformed Church. So I'm working to make this a more memorable day. But before you get all emotional over that, you should remember that in 15 years, I'll be 86. And if I'm still around, I'll probably just be happy if I can even remember who Greg Brady is. But it's a significant day. It may not be all that memorable. Several months from now, how many of us will remember this day? I'm not sure. But significance is there nevertheless. And the reason it's significant is one word, love. Because of love, Greg's love for God, we were able to see this morning that he is obeying the call of God to ministry. We see also his love for this congregation in that he has accepted that call to ministry from God, but desires to do it and feels led to do it here among you. And you've already experienced some of his love for you. This morning is also an opportunity for us to once again let Greg know of our love for you, Greg, our love for him. We gave our vows this morning to pray for him, to support him, to love him. He gave his vows to be a minister to us. And through it all, it's a commitment to God. And it's a statement of thanks for his call to us and for our love for him, for all that he's done to, for us in Christ. The Apostle Paul really says that there's really nothing in life that's significant without love. This morning's scripture is 1 Corinthians 13. I'd ask if you have your Bibles to turn there, and we will look at first at the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says there, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames and have not love, I gain nothing. Now, you can see the distinction there between that which is memorable and what is significant. Just think about it. If I had the faith, now there's no mountains around here, but if I had the faith to even make a hill jump or move, or shake, I suspect I would remember that, and if you saw it, you would remember it, wouldn't you? But Paul says, without love, that's not significant. If I, Jerry, were to say, I'm going to give everything I have to the poor, empty out any bank account, sell any possessions, but for the clothes that I'm wearing, and gave it all to the poor, you might remember that act of giving. But Paul says, in the end, the only thing we can say that's significant is that Jerry's now bankrupt. Right? Without love, it's nothing. Corinth, to whom this letter is written, is a, was a... a uh, harbor city, a port city, much like Houston. So that in in many ways, there were the crossing of cultures in different groups, different countries were coming, and if they were going to go to Rome, or if they were coming from Rome, often the ships would come into the city of Corinth. Corinth Corinth was known for being made up of a bunch of rowdy folks. They were hard drinking, sexually promiscuous. It was uh, kind of a, a rough crowd, you might say. And Paul was there for 18 months preaching, and he led many of these people to Christ. And they formed a church. And in those eight, after 18 months, Paul left and entrusted the leadership of that church to others. But as time went by, Paul began to receive some word and some letters himself that said that these Corinthians, whom he'd led to Christ, they were carrying some of their reputations into the church. And uh, bad things were beginning to happen, and certainly one of them was that they were, their worship was no longer very God-glorifying. Their Lord's Supper times were not a remembrance of Jesus, but it was more of a, a, uh, a pig-out, more of a, a big meal. And many of the people who were poor and didn't uh, have as much food to bring, or if they came late didn't get anything to eat. It was kind of a mess. Not only that, but there were spiritual gifts that had been given. There were talents. There were things that people were doing in the church. And it's in the discussion of that where Paul first talks about, well, you know, the church is like a body. And you can't very well say to one part of your body, we don't need the rest. We only need you. We need all the parts. And some of the parts are more obvious than others heard recently of someone who died after discovering that they had a, a cancer uh, tumor on their, on their liver, and they died within one week of the discovery of that. Couldn't see it, didn't know it was there. 
but it can kill you if the part's not there. And Paul says it's, it's that way with the body. All the parts are needed. And then in 14, chapter 14, the following one, he goes on to discuss that some more about spiritual gifts and how they all must come together and support each other to be a healthy church. In the middle of that, he has this chapter in which he says, it all depends on love. Slowly, Paul, in his letter, kindly but firmly, demonstrates that they need to take the love that they've received from Christ, from God himself, and they need to bring that love into their relationships with each other. Into the middle of all of this is love. That's the key message. All areas of our lives are insignificant, Paul says, if there is no love. So, how are we doing today? I see division. I see hatred. I see anger. I recently read a book about some analysis of our society at the present time. And one of the statements caught my attention. It said, we are united in our loathing. In other words, you hate someone, I hate that person too. Ah, we're united. I loathe, I hate that group of people and what they think. You hate that group of people and what they think also. Ah, we're united. Is it really that bad? I don't know, but... It certainly doesn't sound like love, does it? What's the nature of the love that Paul's talking about here? I simply want to read a few verses and and say something about this love because it's the same word that Paul's using here that's found in other parts of Scripture. Romans 5 verse 8, for instance, says, But God demonstrates his own love, same kind of love, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God, he died for us. That's a demonstration of his love. Okay? It's unconditional. 1 John 3, verse 16 says, This is how we know what love is. Same word. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This love is sacrificial. Jesus is asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? And he gives his response in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like it, love, same word, your neighbor as yourself. So it has to be intentional. This is a command of Jesus. Do it. It's not when you feel like it, Or when you like somebody, then love them. No, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God above all. Do it. It's intentional. And anything that's intentional has to be learned because it doesn't come naturally. Think about children even. When is the last time you heard a parent brag about the fact that they taught their their young child to hit or even to bite? Right? When does a parent brag about, I taught my child to take other kids' toys? 
It doesn't happen, right? Because we know that that may come natural, but part of parenting is to show them a better way, to share, to be kind, to hug, not to hit. We have to teach them to love. Love is intentional. The kind of love that Paul's talking about here, we have to decide to do. Jesus commands us. I don't think Jesus would command us to do something that it was simply impossible for us to do. But he certainly has given us something that we need to practice because it doesn't seem to come naturally. I read the verses that follow from 1 Corinthians. If you look at, back at chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, this tells us what this love looks like when it's worked out. Love is patient. This love is kind. This love doesn't envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Eugene Peterson, the paraphrase that we know as the message, says these same verses in these words. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Matthew 16, Jesus said that we need to also pick up our crosses. We need to deny ourselves and follow him. That's what I see Paul saying in these verses 4 through 7. It's denying ourselves. And it's following Jesus. It's more and more being formed into the image of our Savior so that we begin to more and more resemble him. Now, how do we get started? Where do we begin? I think at the very least, we need to be able to look at each other and recognize that we're all made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God, and therefore that demands at least some respect, doesn't it? Rich or poor? doesn't matter skin tone, what culture you've grown up in, what ethnic group you're from. Educated, uneducated, old, young, male, female, gay, straight, dare I say Democrat, Republican, Russian, Iranian, Chinese, no matter what, made in the image of God deserving at least of our respect, a willingness 
to listen. And in the face of everyone else, if we're following Jesus, a willingness to deny ourselves. Now, some may think, well, that sounds a little bit, you know, pie in the sky. Maybe a little bit too much of making ourselves into doormats. A little too nicey-nice. Now I call your attention also to verses that Paul, the same Paul, writes to Timothy later. He says, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears, not because of allergies, but itching ears, what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. It's not some easy, nicey-nice, sweet, syrupy kind of love that's being talked about here. It's not just letting someone walk over you as though... You are a mat on which they can wipe their shoes. Now, much more than that, Jesus, when he came, it says in John chapter 1, came and dwelt among us, and he was full of grace and full of truth. And so somehow in our loving, in our denying ourselves, somehow we need to be, as we follow Jesus and more and more look like him, we need to be full of grace and all that that implies that unconditional love, that sacrificial love, and truth, which says we don't back away from what is right. Jesus didn't back away from that. He certainly spoke to us. He said we needed to ask for forgiveness. We needed to confess our sins. But he was also gracious. We, followers of Jesus, need to be the same. And that only comes by getting to know Jesus better. So there needs to be time that we spend in prayer, time that we spend in God's Word. We won't look more like Him if we don't spend more time with Him. So, I would say this morning that we can get started. We can take a step at a time. It doesn't happen overnight. A child doesn't become an adult the next day after they're born. There's a whole process in which you parent. God calls himself, reveals himself as our father. And part of parenting, I'm sure, is he delights in us more and more resembling his son Jesus. Takes us along the way, encourages us, just as Paul encouraged these Corinthians. They'd fallen away, they'd brought in some of their old habits. He came back to them and he said, Remember to love. Decide again to love. Commit yourself to love. Get to know Jesus better. You know, maybe one of the first places we can start, as we hear a lot about it today, is social networking. Look at what you post or what you repost. Does it build up or does it tear down? Something as simple as that can be a way for you to get love into your life. Pastor Greg, this morning we say to you, teach us to love. 
Now, I know that you're a conscientious guy, and when you put a series of messages together, you're going to spend time studying, working, planning what those messages are going to say. You're going to pray over them. Some nights you'll wake up in the middle of the night and be thinking about them, and every once in a while, God will just seem to drop an illustration that you think that nails it. And then you, on Sunday morning, will preach that message, and you will be glad when some who walk out say, that was really a great message for me. What you also have probably learned by now is a month later, you don't say, now, what do you remember from that message, right? But because what's, those sermons might not be memorable. Your pastoral care work might not be memorable. Your leadership might not be memorable. But when done in the power of the Spirit, it's significant. And the real test of your work as pastor in this congregation is when you look out and see the people of this church increasingly resemble Jesus. The greatest compliment I think that you can receive is when someone comes to you and they say, Pastor Greg, when I observe you, when I hear you speak, and when I hear you teach, I see Jesus. People of Hope Church, learn to love. Learn it, practice, obey, be filled with grace and truth. And when you do, your life will be transformed. You will reveal Jesus to your spouse, to your family, to your friends, to the people in your workplace, to the community. And like those early Christians who went out, and even though they were laughed at, even though they were hit, even though they were stoned, even though they were imprisoned, and even though they were killed, ultimately they changed the world. You also, as you go out in love, change the world. About five years ago, my next-door neighbor came home with some trees, seven of them. And I wasn't sure what they were. They were pretty good size, and he planted them in his backyard, a couple along my fence, or our fence, and that separated us, and then along his back fence. And I wasn't sure what they were. They were kind of thin leaves, and I thought they, they looked like they might be fruit trees. And so I saw him the next day, and, and he said to me, um, did you see I planted some trees? And I said, yeah, I noticed that. I said, what kind of trees are those? He said, those are, those are peach trees. I said, peach trees? Really? You know, I've lived in spring for 40 years. I said, I, I didn't know that, you, that they grow good peaches around here in spring. I know that they have peaches in the hill country that are good, but nobody here. Oh, he said, these are peach trees for this area. And he said, do you like peaches? I said, oh, yeah, I really do. I like peaches. He said, well, my wife makes a great peach cobbler, and we'll bring you some. I said, great, I'm looking forward to it. Now, every spring, I go out there, and I see these beautiful pink blossoms. But I have yet to see even the smallest nub of a peach, okay? Now, I know that after all these years, he's never invited me into his backyard. And I know after all these years, he's got to be feeling bad. 
Now, I don't know, as Peterson said, whether he's groveling. And I don't know that I would be reveling. But I'll tell you, I am so tempted to holler out to him one of these days and say, hey, Ken, I'm still waiting for that peach cobbler. I don't know that that would be a very loving thing to do. Well, the Apostle Paul, in another letter, writes to the Galatians. And he says some of the same things, I think, that come out in this chapter 13 of Corinthians. He says that when you have the Spirit of Jesus in you, there's fruit that gets produced. All right? And... It's not just blossoms, but it's actual fruit. And that those words that he said, the fruit of the Spirit that he gives in that verse, uh, Galatians 5.22, I want you to, to listen to them. One, I think these words describe what Paul has described in Corinthians as well about love. So I want you to think about these words and then ask yourself as you're thinking about them when I say them, How are we doing as a society, as a a country? Listen to the words. Just let them fall over you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm going to say them again. And this time, think about your life. Think about your own life. What, which of these fruits are you producing? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Greg will inevitably conduct some funerals while he's here as your pastor. And that funeral, one of those funerals, could be yours. When he prepares for that funeral and what he's going to say, he will want to speak words of comfort to your family and to your friends. And in doing that, he will want to hear from them and he will want to hear from others. What is it about your life? Was it significant? And it's those ways in which your life is significant that will give, that will part of what gives comfort to your family, to their family and friends. So he will listen for what fruit there was in your life. What significance is there to your life? So as he prepares these words of comfort, don't put him in a position where he needs to lie. The chapter ends, chapter 13, and now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And why is that? 
Because faith one day becomes sight. Hopes one day are realized. But love, that never ends. Contemporary songwriter Joel Houston has written a song, Greatest of These. There's a line in that song that says, Love is eternal, but there is a cross. You pray with me. Lord Jesus, we love you. We want to know you better. We want to resemble you more and more. Equip Pastor Greg to help us do that. Thank you for giving him to us. Teach us to love others as you have loved us. Holy Spirit, strengthen us so that we are able to deny ourselves that more and more we resemble our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Pastor Jerry, giving us that word. Would you stand this morning as we close? And uh, 2020, it's not over yet, but I I can tell you I'm glad looking forward to 2020. I'm more looking forward to this glorious day when we will not have to deal with any of what we're dealing with we were talking about today. Uh, We'll be with the Lord. Let's sing this glorious day. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shined among us. His glory revealed, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day. Oh, glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish despised and rejected bearing our sins my redeemer is he the hand that healed nations stretched out on a tree and took the nails for me living he loved me 
dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far away rising he justified freely forever one day he's coming oh glorious day oh glorious day One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended, my Lord, evermore. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. Rising again, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day. Oh, glorious day, glorious day. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glories will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one bringing. My Savior Jesus is mine. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. And rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. Oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Jerry, I want to thank you for your message today on love and just reflecting on uh, his words and that song we just sung. And um, Have you ever realized how much giving is a part of loving? Um, so I want to think about that and just how much Jesus gave out of his love. And then another thought came to mind. Uh, isn't it amazing what God does when someone gives and Jesus 
gave his life, and now we've got this glorious day that's, that's coming. Um, and when we give, God does something amazing with that. Not quite sure everything that he does when we are giving, but we know that God is working behind the scenes. Sometimes we see amazing fruit. Um, sometimes we don't quite get to see the fruit, but we know it's there when we give because God does amazing things when people give. And so what we have now is an opportunity to, to be giving ourselves and uh, have a time for offering. Um, we have offering boxes at the back of the sanctuary. If you want to um, make a gift, you can do that to um, just put it in God's hands and, and trust that God would use your giving um, and the, the ministry of Hope Church. You can do that if you're online this morning or if you're here in the sanctuary, you want to give online. Uh, you can do that too. Just go to our church's website, hopehouston.org, and find the giving tab. And uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you are our glorious God, and we have a glorious day coming up um, when we get to see you face to face and live in your eternal kingdom and Lord, we also know that you're building your kingdom right now in our world. And when we give, we get to show your kingdom. We get to introduce people to your kingdom. You use our giving, not just the giving of our money, but the giving of our hearts and our, our talents and our acts of service. Um, you use all those gifts of giving to bring people into the light of your kingdom and into the saving knowledge and a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we pray as we give you this gift today, Lord, that you would use it to do great things and to build your kingdom and to proclaim Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, we are about ready to conclude our worship service. And uh, I'm asking our volunteers, we, we had a an issue right before the worship service. We have a fellowship team, and they work really hard at um, planning events. And right before the worship service, uh, Martha said, you know, um, uh, the cupcakes aren't here yet. I do not know if there's cupcakes in there or not. <laughs> so, um, I, I, he's saying yes or no, or I don't know. But I know this. If... Uh, So we have, so, um, you know, at Hope Church, we, we believe strongly in the sovereignty of God. And if there's no cupcakes, you know what that means. It means God knew that Pastor Greg does not need any more cupcakes. Um, but uh, we do have a very festive um, little treat for you. And so we have a little reception going on, a little treat for you in there. Plus, you, there are the coolest wa- bottles of water you will ever get. I promise you that right in there. Um, and you will know what I'm talking about when you get that little bottle of water. So what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you to stand for a blessing, and then um, we're going to go through those doors, and I'm going to thank you for being here because I love you and celebrate um, God's goodness in bringing, bringing me here to be your pastor. And, um, and then you can go through there and grab your treat and say hi, and then you can visit in there, you can visit in the lobby, you can visit outside, 
But let us remember this calling to go out and to be the love of Jesus Christ to and your coworkers and your friends and your church family and each other. Yeah, absolutely. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God, and may the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Now go in peace and find someone that you don't know and wish them a great day.